Hello everyone, welcome to our Saturday broadcast. As usual, we will be answering questions about meditation practice in our tradition and living life as a Buddhist meditator. So our focus is on questions that have practical importance to the person asking, um, either about their own practice or about applying the principles of practice in daily life. If you're new to this practice, well, that's great. You're welcome to ask questions. You might also think about reading our booklet on how to meditate. That's a good introduction. You can follow the link at the bottom of the screen. should be in the description as well to get all sorts of information about our, our publications and our courses and even our new center in Ontario, Canada. So as usual, until the quarter after the hour, we will be doing silent meditation. I encourage you to take part in that. It's a good way to prepare ourselves for speaking and listening to the Dhamma. Uh, and in the meantime, those people who have questions, feel free to post them in the chat. This is the time to start posting them so that our crew of volunteers can start organizing them and preparing them for presentation. Okay, so I'll be back at 15 minutes after the hour.
Okay, we're back. I see we have a bunch of questions. You're welcome to post questions, continue to post questions in the chat. You're also welcome, of course, to close your eyes, stay mindful, and just listen. Uh, from here on, we'd ask that the only thing posted in chat is actual questions, just to keep it clean for the Q&A session. So no answering other people's questions where... This is a one-way thing. You ask the questions, we answer them. So I'm ready when you guys are. Just Thank give you. me a second here. Mm. Okay, now I'm really ready. Thank you, Bonte. We have got questions. How can I be more patient with my thoughts? I usually tend to catch a thought and daydream everything the thought leads me to. Well, noticing that is one of the steps. It's not an... This is the, the deal with non-self. It's not a immediate thing. It's not a switch that you can turn off. It's not something you can control. But it can change through understanding, through familiarity. And so noticing that you're not able to catch your thoughts, that it's not under your control when you think and how long you think, is an important part of it because it helps change your relationships, your relationship to thoughts, how you view them. It, it weakens the identification with them. These are me and these are mine. Because that identification is part of what causes us to get lost in our thoughts, to, to, to leap at them, to, to, to cultivate excitement and interest in them. You become less interested in them, less keen on getting caught up in them as you become more familiar with their true nature as being impermanent, unsatisfying, and uncontrollable. So don't be discouraged by that. That's actually an important part of it. Just be patient with that, with the fact that you are... Uh, well, I don't quite understand the connection between being patient and uh, and getting caught up in them. It's not patience that's lacking so much as uh, familiarity. So once you catch yourself afterwards, you can note that as thinking or distracted, even if it's after the thought is finished. Just note it as a means of keeping yourself objective and acknowledging the understanding that you've gained about the nature of thoughts. And over time, you'll be able to catch them quicker. Sometimes you'll catch them in the middle. Sometimes you'll even catch thoughts at the beginning when they first begin. And all of that aids in, and increases your familiarity with the thoughts. During meditation, as soon as I begin to see clearly that every sensation is not me, it is not controlled, my body begins to shake. How long will this stage of meditation last? I would caution against making those kind of connections, that when this happens, that happens. It may be the case right now, but that connection's not useful, and it's, it can be harmful because, or detrimental because you make these associations, and it leads to anticipation, and it's self-fulfilling. 
or self-perpetuating. I'm not sure um, because you you trigger it as a result of thinking it's going to be triggered, right? So it's important that you just note things as you experience them individually. When your body shakes, you just note shaking, shaking. It's not about what caused it or or anything like that. It's just about learning about the shaking. All we're trying to do is change our reactions to things, not the things themselves. We're not really interested in the way things arise and what causes what and so on. We're only interested in the important causality, and that's ethical causality, how we get upset about things, how we cling to things, how we react to things. We want to change that, and we want to have a better relationship with reality. So that's not a stage of meditation, that's just an experience. Body shaking, it's impermanent suffering and non-self. It's not you, not yours, not under your control. Just uh, something that arises and ceases. So just note it as such, shaking, shaking, or feeling, feeling, either one. I can be quite mindful in the short term. But after several hours, the defilements and hindrances start demoralizing me and I lose my motivation. Is there a practical way to overcome despair? Just note it. Note the things that are causing disparity. Try to gain a a better understanding of them. There's nothing uh, exceptional about that. Demoralization is actually just a hindrance. It's not the hindrances that are demoralizing. It's just one more hindrance. It can be doubt if you're doubting yourself. It can be sadness or disliking or frustration, all of which are interrelated. Just note whichever one it is. You don't need motivation. Don't worry about that. Motivation's a bit misleading. What you need is to get rid of the disliking, the aversion towards things like meditation, the aversion towards being mindful, which is... Silly, of course, because mindfulness is so valuable and so uh, beneficial. So just cultivate mindfulness because of how beneficial it is, not because of how motivated you are. One thing that's different about being mindful is it's not something you can cling to, because mindfulness is not a clingy mind state. Other things, you can cling to them. You can like them. You can enjoy them, so to speak, because there can be clinging to it. But during the time you're mindful, there's no clinging. So once it's done, you don't want to do it more because the wanting is actually reduced so there's let there's you can't rely on wanting the way you normally would like yeah boy i want to be mindful if you want to meditate that's still wanting that's still attachment you can be mindful uh, as a result of wisdom and that's where it should come from the understanding and the knowledge of how good it is it's not because of liking it which is tricky because it's hard to be quote-unquote motivated You have to find a different kind of motivation, again, through understanding and wisdom, appreciation of the value of it. Since stopping the at-home course around a year ago, I struggle so much with practicing consistently. I am either all in and practice over an hour per day, or hardly at all. Sometimes a week or two goes by without meditation, How can I break this habit of going to extremes? I approach most things in my life this way and cannot seem to find balance. Yeah, trying to break habits is again one of these wrong approaches to uh, habits or to problems. 
you can't break a habit. You, you, a habit is something that grows over time, and so it has to change over time. Mindfulness is a new habit, and it usually uh, attenuates and uh, eradicates eventually all, all bad habits. But it takes time. And so you realizing that you deal with, you approach life in, in this way generally is a part of the learning process, a part of the growing process. It's just going to take time. You'll get better at it over time. You, you have to be patient and persistent and refine your practice. So uh, when, you're, when you're frustrated or depressed by the fact, when you dislike the fact that that's how you approach things in life, when you dislike these habits and you want to get rid of them, you have to note all of that. It's not really just about doing the same thing over and over again for years. You have to adapt. You have to grow. So the practice that you use in the beginning, when you first undertake, say, the at-home course, the, the, the technique is, the, is never changes, but your application of it has to grow, has to be refined. You have to, you have to get better and more um, precise, more proficient at actually being mindful, at recognizing things, because we've, we miss things and we... Uh, yeah, we we neglect to apply mindfulness in so many parts of our life, and learning how to do that just takes time and and persistence. There's no mystery and there's no quick fix. You have to be prepared to do the work over time. There's no breaking habits. There's only growth. I've been practicing Vipassana for three years now. Are you saying you can't progress on psychiatric medication like antipsychotics? I think I have made quite a bit of progress. What is your advice if I stay on them? I'm not saying that. I mean, I'm not saying anything. I'm not sure what you're referring to, but uh, I guess you're saying have I said or do I believe or that sort of thing. I, I've always believed uh, that progress is possible no matter what medication you might be on. Uh, however, uh, in my experience, the an intensive course um, doesn't progress to the level that we expect it to. And I think it's probably pretty hard for a person on psychoactive meditation to, let's say, become enlightened. So if we're talking about progress, that's possible, absolutely. I mean, that should be possible for everybody. But it's going to severely limit your capacity to attain the higher stages of insight knowledge. I mean, mainly because of the approach to experience um, associated with taking psychoactive medication. You're trying to avoid certain experiences, so the state, the quality of mind, is never going to be. Um, one that faces experiences, and it, this isn't a, it, it isn't meant to sound like some kind of judgment or something. It's just the nature of it. It's just factual that you're not going to be uh, confronting the states that you need to confront. You're not going to be have this attitude of of letting go because um, you know there's still an aversion or an inability to confront to face. Uh, the, the hard realities. And I don't think being on the medication makes that, um, the, the medication itself improves that. It just prevents you from having to, or def, um, 
prevents you from having to uh, face certain experiences. I mean, I've had people on medication. We had one person even lie about taking it and came to do the course, and halfway through, he, we agreed that he wasn't getting anywhere, and he admitted that he had lied, and he was actually on psychoactive medication, and, and he left. But it was clear throughout the time that he was there that he wasn't getting the same results that we would expect of anyone else. Sorry to say. Can you go into a bit of detail about substitution of opposites, tadanga pahana, or give an example, please? Well, mindfulness is, in a sense, a substitution of opposites. I mean, the classic examples are metta for, for anger, right? Or um, mindfulness of the loathsomeness of the body, or, or mindfulness of the parts of, of the body to free from free yourself from tan, from raga or, or or lobha basically but specifically uh, raga about the body uh, but mindfulness is in a sense substitution of opposites because you're substituting delusion with wisdom with clarity when you say to yourself rising and falling there's a clarity of mind there's a wisdom in a sense Banya, banya, nya knowledge, ba, uh, thorough or strong or so on. There's a clear knowledge of the experience as it is. Seeing is just seeing, hearing is just hearing, and so on. But I mean, I, I'm not, that's just theory. The, the words like Dadanga Bahana. It's an interesting idea that you're suppressing um, the defilements by opposites. one way of describing how meditation works. I feel that I need to lie or I will lose my job. I struggle to get places on time and without an excuse, I'd be out a job. I know this isn't okay, but isn't lying sadly essential in the modern world? No, no, it's not essential. I don't believe that. If you're unable to get to your job on time, you really should be honest with you're not benefiting yourself or or your relationships with others by lying. It's not making your life happier or not leading to good things in your life at all. If you're not able to make it on time, you really have to fess up to that. Lying is never lying is pretty bad. But to said a person who lies, it's there's not much else they won't do. Not much else, not, not many other unwholesome things they won't do if, if they're willing to lie. It's a big one. Your excuse should be the truth. When I do sitting meditation, I practice samatha, but then during day-to-day -day activities, I practice noting vipassana. Is this type of practice effective? I mean, noting vipassana is effective. Um, samatha is also effective, but the effects are different between the two. So I'm not sure why you're doing both. I guess, um, yeah, I don't know. You'll have to find a teacher who teaches that kind of samatha meditation. 
I mean, I'm glad that you're doing noting vipassana. That's, of course, very helpful, and I'm glad that you see that. That's great. I guess I would also recommend that you do it during your walking and sitting meditation. You should try walking meditation as well, but hey, you probably knew I was going to say that because that's what I teach. So you're always, it's a free world. You do as you like, as you see fit. I guess since you came here, I, I will take the opportunity to tell you that, or uh, wish that you are, wish for you that you are able to use the samatha for eventual practice of uh, vipassana and not just be content with samatha. Can mindfulness aid in getting worldly things that might arise out of greed, lust, or anger? Huh. Um, yeah. I, mean, I don't think anything worldly arises out of greed, lust, or anger. Um, it's, an, it's an interesting theory. Uh, it's not intuitive. The intuitive theory would be that when you want something, that leads you to get it, right? When you're angry at something, that leads you to get rid of it. So these things are actually beneficial, but it's more like having potential or having, let's say, money in the bank. And you have money in the bank and you have to pay rent. So a wise person will save money in the bank and use it for rent, but two people have the same amount of money, uh, have the same potential. But one person, suppose they take all their money and they... Um, they spend it on something that they want. Then they have no money for rent. So the spending didn't actually help them. It was the money that it was the money that gave them the power to do such a thing. So what I mean by this, why I'm using this analogy, is a person who wants something, the fact that they can get what they want is the potential. Them actually going out and getting it isn't what allowed them to get it. It's a bit convoluted, but the point is that that greed is going to come back and hit them in the butt. And the real consequence of, of wanting that leads us to, to, to chasing after something out of greed is um, the real consequence is going to be suffering. It's going to be falling into debt karmically. Um, falling Debt in the sense of increase of craving and, and eventual suffering when you don't get what you want or when it's taken away or that sort of thing. So it's like a it's like going into debt, greed, anger in a sense. The defilements are kinds of debt. And if you have um goodness saved up, the goodness can protect you from the debt. It's like the money in the bank account. So if you have money in your bank account, you can be greedy. But it's the money that allows you to get the things you want, not the the greed, not the going out and getting it. So humans are like that. We have lots of potential for so much sensual pleasure. We have lots of potential for power, anger, for hurting others. We are very powerful beings. We can kill all sorts of, even elephants or whales we can kill. We have this potential. And so it seems like these things are there for, um, 
useful tools in getting what we want, but it's the potential. And we waste that potential when we give rise to greed, anger, and delusion. We, we use up the money in our bank account there. We lose up our savings, karmic savings. So it, how that answers your question is that things like mindfulness cultivate goodness. So even though you don't want good things, good things start to come to you more and more. As you're mindful, you gain good friends, you gain respect from other people, you gain um, credibility, uh, you gain confidence, you gain a lot of good qualities, intellect even, lots of good things can come from being mindful. And all of these things allow you to have so much um, power even to be born in higher realms than human, to the point where you 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 can theoretically get uh, whatever you want. I mean, the sort of catch is that you you no longer want it as much. But the point of that is that wanting doesn't actually lead to getting. It's the ability, the the position, the status that leads to the ability to get things. And so, it's kind of like. Um, when you're mindful, you're filling up your cup and you're never drinking from the cup. But when your cup is full and as it gets more full, it sloshes over. And so good things come to you. They, they just don't come all at once like they would if you just went out and grabbed at everything you want. So mindfulness is, is the better choice, but you have to appreciate that it's going to be different from immediate uh, what's this instant gratification? You're not going to get instant gratification with mindfulness. It can be actually quite stressful in the beginning as you go through withdrawal from that instant gratification. But the goodness is always this always sloshing over of the cup. It comes to you in in fits and starts. It comes to you in random ways as your life becomes more peaceful, more pleasant, more uh, happy. Do you think alcohol, when used in moderation, can be of medicinal value? No. I mean, physically, sorry, yes. Physically, yes. Alcohol may have some medicinal, actually, I'm not even sure of that, but let's, let's give the benefit of the doubt that there may be some physical applications for uh, alcohol. <laughs> but, I mean... In a way, cutting off your limb could be um, physically beneficial in some cases. Uh, alcohol is poison physically, but it's also poison mentally. Yeah, maybe not exactly mentally, uh, but it does severely inhibit your mental capacity. I don't. I, I think it's. There are certain medicines that are it's easy to steep them in alcohol to extract the medicine somehow, but I imagine you could let the alcohol evaporate and still get the same benefit of the medicinal root or whatever. But no alcohol is... I mean, that's not even a good question, because it, the point is it doesn't even matter. It's much more important... Uh, the, the state of mind rather than the body. Even if it were somehow beneficial to the body, it's... Um, not a meaningful statement.
and a meaningful fact for a Buddhist. Is there benefit in learning about the 16 stages of insight before experiencing some or all of them? No. No, there's no benefit. Well, okay, is there a benefit? Could there be a benefit? There could be. What I'd like to say is that it's it's not recommended. It's highly, whatever the opposite of recommended is, discouraged. It's highly discouraged from reading them because it just leads to anticipation, expectation, doubt, confusion. And it can also lead to misapprehension where you think something is something and it's actually not. That's very common. It's so common for people to think they're, so, they're gaining something when it's really just delusion. If you're thinking, you're, if you're thinking you're, you realized something, you're probably, I mean, that very fact that you're thinking about it is a sign that you're, you're out, of, out of it. You're not actually being mindful. You can't read about wisdom. You have to learn it for yourself directly. Regarding livelihood, I've had this idea in my head that there would be too much trying to control other people in managerial positions. Is there merit to this idea? I guess maybe it could vary. I guess. Have we run out of meditation questions? I don't, maybe we have to stop early again today. We're very near the end of the second tier, and there are no third tier. All right. Well, let's finish the second tier, and then we can stop early unless those people who have meditation questions come and ask them. Yeah, no, this one, I mean, I guess it could vary. It's just a worldly thing. Managerial positions are neither good nor bad. Depends on your, your quality of mind. I have very pleasant days at my job. Other days are very unpleasant. I am generally similarly mindful in both situations, and external stimuli are similar. How can this be? Well, this is the simple nature of impermanence. Seeing that is a, is a good thing. It's good that you're seeing that. The, there's just too many variables. The things that you think are constant are not even real. Like your job is not real. Um, the, the, the things that you do every day, perhaps the same thing every day, are, are not actually real. The realities are so much more complicated than that, even within your own physical brain and, and body, the state of your body, but also the state of your mind, which is also organic, is chaotic. And then, of course, the state of other people's minds and their bodies and the state of the uh, physical world around you. So complicated. Uh, you know, of course... Um, augmented or, or 
further complicated by past karma and the chaotic nature of the universe that is that could throw a monkey wrench into things at any time or, or is really constantly making things chaotic life isn't we're lulled into kind of the security it's a false sense of security that uh, life is one day after another and today is wednesday oh i know what wednesday is it's the same as last wednesday those things are not even real even day and night are not even real think about that what is day and what is night it's just this the earth facing a certain direction in rela in relation to the sun it's not even real To what extent can one be said to be meditating? Is general mindfulness sufficient to be called meditation? Well, it's just a word. There's no meaning behind it besides what we give it. So we would rather say that if you're practicing mindfulness, you're practicing mindfulness. I don't know what you mean by general mindfulness. But whatever that means, if you're practicing it, then you're practicing it. We're not uh, labels are not actually valuable. I am rather stingy. Should I do something else apart from meditation? Yeah, it's a good example of how charity can be quite helpful. Someone who is stingy might find themselves benefiting from acts of charity. Find a noble cause, a cause that you agree with, and uh, support it. And not just supporting a cause, actually just renounce, renouncing things. So It's not even just giving things to other people, but giving up things, throwing out things, looking at the things that you cling to and uh, letting go of them. That often comes sort of hand in hand with mindfulness. As you practice mindfulness, you find it easier. You, you recognize these uh, unwholesome qualities and you recognize these harmful attachments we have and so you discard them. When should I start noticing more stages of movement during walking meditation? Or is stepping right, stepping left all I need? Well, this is part of the courses that we offer, so I don't know if you've signed up already for the at-home course, but that's that's the answer. If you were to do the at-home course with us, we would teach you all sorts of further exercises as you went. What's in our booklet is actually just the first stage. I've been teaching my father how to meditate. He got he asked me to sort of give him a form, formal instruction, and uh, we're working on getting him to the point where I can give him the next exercise. That's been a while. He's slowly getting into it. Is tranquil abiding samadhi? 
Uh, well, those are just words, but that's not any translation that I would recognize of samadhi. Samadhi means concentration or focus. The word itself is related, I think, to the English word same. There's lots of words. There's just various words in Pali that have this formation, some, and it, like uh, samahita. Samahita is like the, in Thai they even say samamsamu. They have this Thai word that I guess is from the Pali, but it's it's the same as we get probably from Latin, same. Um, samam. Well, samam is something else, but uh, samahita and well, samadhi. So it's this having sort of like a balanced mind or a mind that's in focus. Uh, tranquility is another word we use, but the translation that we, the word that we translate as tranquility is basati, which is not the same as samadhi. Samadhi is just the second part of the uh, three trainings. It's composed of right effort, right, right concentration, right samadhi, and uh, right mindfulness. So what I mean by that is samadhi is often used just to describe meditation practice. Or it's one of the five, five faculties, and so it sort of pairs with effort uh, or energy. Some people can be very restless, means they have too much energy. Some people can be very drowsy, they have not enough effort and too much too strong samadhi for their effort so you have to balance those two how much practice does it take for an average lay person to be a stream enterer i don't that's a tricky question I guess it really mean depends what you mean by average lay person. Like I can't I can't you know how you make averages? Averages you add up all the compo the constituents and then divide by the number of constituents, right? So if you have numbers, let's say one, three, and five, you add them all up and then divide by three. And that's how you get the average, which is what six is nine is uh, is three right the average of one three and five of course is three so what i mean by by bringing that up is that i could never add up the qualities of eight billion lay people if that's what you're actually referring to and then divide by eight billion to give you an answer to that uh, meaning i don't really have any idea what you'd mean by average for a person who is an actual Buddhist layperson, well, of course, that's far less, and so it's a little bit easier, but it's still so, I mean, an average would be so hard to calculate because uh, there's many different levels, everyone's different. And it's complicated. It's not just a number variable. It's lots of variables that come together that allow people to become enlightened or not become enlightened. So the short answer is, while everybody's different, there really is no answer to that question. Everybody's very complicated. But maybe there is, on the other hand, a sort of a, what we could say, a generalization for people who actually undertake to become a stream enterer. For people who do practice satipatthana vipassana, 
than Mahasi Sayada said, and I quote him because it, it has more weight than me actually saying it, but I agree, that it would be about a month for an average person to gain some fairly, what's the word he used, exceptional results in meditation. And he even went further than that and said, anyone who thinks that's wildly inaccurate and, and grossly under-exaggerating the time it would take, is um, that such a person is, um, what's the word, is uh, denigrating the Buddha's teaching. Anyone who says it would take years or even lifetimes is really trivial. Um, I got the Thai word in my mind, why don't I have the name? Dumin is, is um, looking down upon the Buddha's teaching denigrating or or um, underappreciating the Buddhist teaching. Because in that case, the Buddhist teaching isn't very effective, right? But the Buddha's teaching is very effective. And so anyone who thinks that's unrealistic is uh, really misunderstands or, or undervalue, undervalues the Buddhist teaching. About a month. But that's, you know, with intensive practice usually. And again, that's just a gross generalization. It's different for everybody. Is it ever beneficial to indulge in pleasurable habits, or should they be denied at all cost? Well, it's not beneficial. But on the other hand, they're not really your biggest concern. Your biggest concern is mindfulness. And if you practice mindfulness, you will eventually give up all sorts of uh, greed-based habits. Denying habits doesn't actually solve the problem. It doesn't actually work. There's not actually, we don't actually have this capacity to deny all of our bad habits. We do have potential to, in certain situations, put ourselves in situations where we aren't able to indulge. But usually that's much more voluntary than anything else. Uh, like if you go to a meditation center. But in the long term, the only answer is mindfulness and wisdom. Do you have any advice on using meditation to get off intoxicants? I don't really have the ability to get into rehab, and it's not a dangerous withdrawal from the vice I have. Oh, I don't know if you've done our at-home course, but you'd have to keep the five presets so you wouldn't be able to indulge in intoxicants during that. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's a, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, which isn't really Buddhist per se, but apparently works well. There's There's different groups that you can meet up with. We kind of deal with a higher level. Like we deal with people who are able to at least temporarily give up their addiction. If you're not able to give up your intoxicant like alcohol or drugs, then uh, you really probably need more help than we can give. But you could consider trying to be stay off of them during the at-home course, or even consider coming to do an intensive course where you'd have to be off of them. Do 
is regarding things we perceive as unreal, useful when in our experience they are real enough that we have to contend with them as we perceive them? I'm not going to go into that. I think I would redirect your your train of thought and just say what's useful is being mindful. You should stick with that. Any sort of other intellectual idea of what is useful is not really helpful. I'm also going to cut it there. I ask to cut it there because, of course, at four o'clock I have to go meet people. And I think we've kind of gone through all of the really practical questions. That so seems to be we'll, the case. Okay, great. We'll stop five minutes early so I can prepare to go and meet. We have one meditator left here before the winter break. So I will be away from December 27th or 28th until middle of January. There's still time before that, but in the meantime, we're kind of winding down for the end of the year as we still work on finally getting this uh, meditation hall finished. It's 95% finished, I'm told. And then we had a wrinkle where all the workers walked off the job and so we're delayed a couple more days but monday i'm reassured that it's going to be finished and then we can post all sorts of pictures and prepare for a grand opening where we are able to use this it will not just be a meditation hall but it'll also have a room for reporting and it'll have a room for me to live so we'll have a dedicated reporting room and a dedicated meditation hall that's warm and quiet and where we even have people uh, offering monks, even offering Buddha images. We have Buddha image, a Buddha image in Montreal that has been offered. We even had one from British Columbia that was offered, but is apparently too big for our space. So, and we also have, apparently have uh, one Cambodian monk friend of mine has apparently offered to arrange for a very very old Buddha from Saranat to be carved and sent to us but i don't have confirmation of that i'm just told that that's apparently something that he's taken up as a project so lots of good things happening and uh, please if you're interested in if anyone's interested consider signing up for the at-home course or coming to do a course here in the new year at, i'll be back on january 13th or so and uh, we'll have We've already got great facilities, but we'll have even better facilities in the new year. So thank you all for your questions, and please do come back if you have more. I wish you all the best. And thank you for all the help people helping. Chris, Jim, Edit. Sadhu.